0: All right, we got a good one for you. Buckle up. Today's episode of the Ryan Rasula Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Is it cool to say buckle up? I guess it is if you're talking State Farm, right? Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate? That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro. The real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more with a great price and even greater service state farm goes from strength to strength choose insurance it always brings its a game when you want the real deal like a good neighbor state farm is there it's ryan rusilla podcast presented by Fanduel. the road to the nba final starts now and Fanduel is the best place to get in on the action right now you can check out the new and improved quick bets which are back and better than ever for the nba playoffs and Fanduel. 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode of the Ryan Racilla Podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's french fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a french fry from McDonald's unless you're eating my french fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. This next open, uh, the rant for this week, something I've been thinking about, spending a lot of time researching and that's Larry Scott with Pac-12. Larry Scott is the commissioner of the Pac-12 Conference. He's had that job for over 10 years. And in the last decade, I can't imagine anyone would argue that he's done a good job. Let's start with the money, all right? The Big Ten hands out $55 million per conference member. That's the most of all the Power Five conferences. The SEC is second about $45 million, but that number is projected to go way up once the CBS game on Saturday becomes an SEC game. The Big 12 is around $40 million. The Pac-12 is fourth at $32 million per team, but they're going to be surpassed by the ACC with their new ACC network deal with ESPN. So that'll mean that Pac-12 will be last of all the revenue generated for its members. But Larry Scott makes more than every other conference commissioner. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you haven't. He's over $5 million a year for this role. He makes double what the commissioner of the SEC makes. They also spend a ton of money and whether it's all Larry Scott or the Pac-12 decision makers, they have $8 million a year in rent in downtown San Francisco because they wanted to be located next to the leaders of the world in tech for all these big deals they're going to pull off when are those deals going to happen? And speaking of the PAC-12 network, which Scott says, hey, I have two jobs, commissioner and the head of this network, and that's why I justify this large salary. Well, it's a PAC-12 network that laid off or furloughed over half of its employees the last year, which was after Larry Scott decided to hand himself and his other lieutenants bonuses reported up to $4 million. So they spend more than anybody else and they make less than everybody else. The Pac-12 network has been the thing Larry Scott keeps dangling out there saying, hey, we own all of our own media rights. And once we start negotiating these new deals in a couple of years, that's when that windfall is coming. Is it? Right now, and I know Scott's been frustrated about not getting more deals done, but he hasn't, it's on an 18 million homes. Compare that with an SEC or ACC game on ESPN's main channel, where that is an 83 million homes. And the promise that all of this is going to work out Actually, doesn't hold up because John Canzano of the Oregonian, who's done a fabulous job reporting on all of this stuff, had this quote from a high-ranking Pac-12 official saying, quote, no media company wanted to partner with the Pac-12. ESPN declined. Fox, CBS, even the Discovery Channel declined. Nobody knows this. We weren't wanted. Let's take a look at some other bad headlines. And honestly, I don't even need to use them all. The first thing is attendance. From 2013 to 2018, the Pac-12 had a 13% attendance decline, almost double the next worst conference decline. And the old Mad Men line, if you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. Well, the Pac-12 has tried that. They've paid consulting fees, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to these consulting firms to try to come up with some conclusion. And they couldn't come up with anything any better than, hey, find a way to have people write nicer things about you. So they actually tried that, entering into a really sketchy, odd agreement with the LA Times where they were going to steer advertising towards them for more favorable coverage until the whole thing blew up because LA Times employees were like, what are we doing? How about COVID? Now, look, it's a pandemic. No one has a blueprint from this. I'm not blaming Larry Scott for having the same challenges everybody else is having, but I'm blaming Larry Scott for the timeline of this because according to multiple Pac-12 sources, once he knew they'd have enough testing to be able to start the season again, he held off that announcement so that he could make it for the positive PR while his ADs, his coaches, and his student athletes had no idea when they'd be able to return to campus. What does this mean for the Pac-12 fan base? And what does this mean for Larry Scott's future with this conference? I remember when he first got the job, we interviewed him on the show. Impressive guy, Harvard educated, came from women's professional tennis, right? He was going to do different things and outside the box hire and move this conference into the future. When conference realignment was the wild, wild west, he was promising Texas and Oklahoma, a bunch of different people to blame over that one. They ended up with Colorado and Utah. The football part of it, I'm not even saying that's Larry Scott's fault. The conference is not done well in bowl games. It is not done well in the playoff system. But I do think football is cyclical. And I think the Pac-12 eventually will win some big games. But what I can't get past is that he has paid way more than every other conference commissioner for a conference that is on pace to make less than all the other Power Five conferences. How does this happen? Is it even Larry Scott's fault? Because you have to also look at the Pac-12 CEO group that's made up of school presidents and chancellors that have signed off on all this stuff. And I can't figure out why. What's the point? And when I travel the country and I've been to so many of these campuses, the one thing that always stands out about the Pac-12 is that you're the smart schools. You're the schools that are supposed to do it the right way, right? Yet you're the smart schools and you've allowed this to happen. And no one's benefited more than Larry Scott. It makes me think of some of the Pac-12 CEO group. Do you buy timeshares over the phone? How do you let this keep happening? And one of the things that bothers me more than any of this is this massive debate about the future of college athletics and whether or not athletes should be compensated, especially from the revenue-generating programs. And I'd say only those revenue-generating programs, because as much as I love college sports, I do think there's so much money going around, the athletes should get a bigger piece of that. But the rebuttal is constantly, there's never enough money. Well, there's never enough money because you spend it all the time on commissioners, on your own jobs. You keep giving yourself raises on upgrades to facilities that don't need upgrades and the coaching buyout money that we've talked about numerous times. No one has benefited better than Larry Scott. Now, maybe the teams get better on the football field. Maybe the Pac-12 media rights are sold and it is this massive windfall. But here's the irony of all of this, because Larry Scott was hired initially to make the Pac-12 more of a national brand. But in his failure to do so, There's not enough people outside of the Pac-12 cities that understand how bad of a job he's doing for this once great conference. Kevin O'Connor, the ringer, uh, terrific on the NBA, even better on the draft. And I just want to tell you, man, reading your stuff from years past when you were over at Comcast, where I was for a long time and, and loved working with those people, you've done a great job on this. And it's not a surprise that you continue to be successful with this. So let's talk draft uh, because it is still my favorite thing to do. Okay, I'll start with some stuff and we'll kind of just go back. We'll talk players. We'll talk some of the stuff that we're hearing. Here's my first one I'll throw at you. At this point, and I'm leaving myself a bit of an out, but at this point, any combination of the top three picks not having Edwards and Wiseman seem impossible. So perhaps with the trade in Golden State, it ends up being a different person at number two. So I don't want to say, hey, it's, it's Edwards, Wiseman some way in that order top two so i'm leaving myself a bit of it out but i'd be shocked if either guy or they are still at four is basically what i'm safe saying now two weeks out
1: at this point i'm with you i'd be shocked if edwards or wiseman fall out of the top three it's with lamello that people don't really know where somebody like him is going to end up lamello maybe he does end up going number uh, number two maybe he goes up going number one we just don't know yet but there's also a probability that he falls to like number six number seven and those teams have an opportunity to take him him when at one point they didn't because with the mellow he's struggled in workouts struggled in interviews teams question the jump shot teams question the defensive effort and I think a lot of teams out there right now are like why not take a quote-unquote safer prospect you know like a Halliburton or an Avdia or an Okongwu and that's sort of the direction we're seeing some of these teams potentially uh, lean in when it comes to their decisions on draft night. Give me your good and bad from teams
0: on Mellow, and then I'll go.
1: The good? I mean, no doubt his playmaking. There's no question that this kid is somebody who down the line, once his shot selection improves, can lead an offense. Uh, the bad is with that player, you would preferably like that player to be a leader and be somebody who's vocal And somebody who sets a positive example for the rest of the team when they have the ball in their hands so often, even with somebody like James Harden, that's been one of the knocks on him, they say unbelievable player, but where's the leadership for him? And with LaMelo ball, no guarantee he comes anywhere close to that level. But there is the question of, well, how much of a leader is he? How much of an example does he set? With some of those negative qualities, with the effort, with the shot selection, and the decision making on the court, teams do worry about that. Not even really about maturity. It's—I'm not sure—they just see the lane for him to grow into that as he does mature, as you know, a lot of all of these kids will as teenagers.
0: Yeah, I think the worst thing that could happen to him is, is a team that's desperate for some kind of juice, and there are. It's funny because Bill and I were talking about it yesterday because I was going over it with a team the other night. We were going through the worst rosters and the bottom of the East, the bottom of this league is basically the bottom of the East. Some of these rosters are terrible. Mm. And even though, like, in theory, Golden State, um, they're not taking LaMelo. If he's there, I'd I'd be shocked. And he's a bad fit because of what we've seen so far i can't imagine in theory if you were with the warriors he would pull up from 30 feet and like wave (laughs) off clay and steph coming down transition (laughs) Hope not. i I would i mean in australia he would i I don't know that he would do that in the nba um but it would be a bad basketball fit but it'd be the right fit for him to be told immediately hey you're not going to do some of this stuff that you've been doing basically your entire career go back to like eighth grade so if he ends up on some bad team with no one else there does he think it's the mellow show and he's just going to take all like he's going to start the bad or continue the bad habits uh, at the NBA level as a rookie because there's no one else there to tell him, hey man, like what are you doing? Which is what I saw from all the Australian stuff.
1: I mean, with Lamelo, it's the type of thing where it seems like it's the the bad teams right here or the teams that are in need of that example. That are just don't no don't don't have interest in him. Like Minnesota at number one. If if you told me LaMelo was gonna be a guarantee to be a hardworking defender, if he was gonna be somebody that played within the flow of the offense, I would say like there's no doubt he would be the number one pick and it could work with D'Angelo Russell and it could work with Carl Anthony Towns. But there is no guarantee of any of that. Because if he goes to a team like that, that doesn't have that structure that you're talking about, like the Warriors have, or that some of these other teams, you know, maybe could potentially have, you know, maybe like if the Wizards were to trade up, you have Wall and Beal, you have that clear hierarchy, something like that could maybe work out for him. But a lot of these teams drafting up top, I'm not sure that they feel the confidence to bring in somebody with those question marks and that player will be able to grow in the way they need to in order to succeed. And so with Lamelo, he is certainly, I mean, he could be a home run. He could be. With that playmaking ability, I mean, can we agree there that if everything goes according to plan with him, th- this is a home run pick. Fact is, though, is that for a lot of guys, it never does.
0: Well, for his size and the playmaking ability, it is special. I mean, it's yeah. not like everybody's just an idiot and we are like, hey, well, you know, his, his, his brother's in the league and his dad's on TV. <laughs> he used to be on TV all the time. Like, I don't think it's that bad. I think the size playmaking thing that you talk about is very appealing, but whatever his, his buzz is, there's more anti stuff out there for him than there is pro. Like I have a harder time hearing from teams going, no, 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 no. Like we, we really, really like him. And then even though my rule would always be, if you're running one of these teams, it sucks. Like stop. Don't look at positional need. Don't ever. I mean, I don't even know if I'd ever really look at it. I mean, unless you yeah. had somebody like Chris Paul at 25, you know, I'm and again, I'm, I'm using him as one example. There's other teams, but Charlotte, you know, if one thing their guards are probably the guys you like um, Chicago, he and how, Zach How much Levine. do we
1: like Devontae Graham though, Ryan? I mean, he's a nice player, but how much do we really, really like him? Is he stopping you from taking a the ball or an Anthony Edwards, you know, a guy who can help run your offense?
0: No, you're right. I mean, between Graham and Rose, you, you don't sit there and say like, all right, we're good for the next 10 years. We've better back for here. <laughs> I mean, you would. I think I'm just so impressed with what Charlotte did because I thought it was the most, uh, I would say the least interesting, um, the the like, there was just no guy that was going to take over and they were so competitive all the time. I, I guess I just always leave last year being incredibly impressed with Charlotte, but you're right. Uh, but I still don't really see that there. Chicago, he and Zach Levine playing next to each other. would be oh, hysterical. Boy. So I'd sign up for Ugh. it. I don't think Cleveland would do it. Uh, even though, again, the bad rule, the bad team rule here, but I don't think they would. Atlanta, it, no way. You can't. No. Uh, Detroit could. New York could. Wizards, eh, I don't know. So there's, there's at least half of those teams where you go, even though you shouldn't ever really do this based on need, it doesn't, make a sen- it doesn't make any sense for half of them.
1: And that's where it comes down to, where does he go? Where does the mellow ball go? Is there a team that trades up for him? I, I had in my mock draft this week the idea of the Wizards trading up with Atlanta. Atlanta would like to get a player, maybe something like a number nine with Troy Brown for Atlanta's six. You know, the, the Hawks get a nice young player in Brown and still be able to pick in the lottery for the a team like the Wizards. Tommy Shepard told me for a story I wrote on the Ringer in July. He's like, we look at this draft as an opportunity to take a, a big swing, to take a risk here and try to land a guy that has star upside they see it as an opportunity when people call it a weak draft and all that and he said we'll probably focus on bigs but the intentions are to take a swing here and to me that you know with john wall and bradley beal lamello plays same position same role as as them But it's also a good situation for him to grow. I do think learning with a John Wall, who has been very helpful with Bradley Beal this past two years, somebody like Bradley Beal, who does set that example, that would be good for him because he can play with those guys at six foot seven. And maybe, you know, if one of those guys or both of those guys want to leave, he sort of is your your plan for afterwards at the guard spot. So like a team like that makes sense to me of a lot of teams in the top 10 that just don't make any sense at all.
0: Okay, so we've spent too much time on him already, so I apologize to everybody. Uh, by the way, LaMelo <laughs> and D'Angelo Russell, I don't exactly love either, in theory. But Anthony Edwards, we realized physically, and we already knew this was going to happen, talking to teams that have seen him work out and interviewed, they, they really like him as a kid. And shocker, somebody with his body and athleticism, they love his workouts. And then I had a scout say, hey, he shoots it better than you think. He's not Ray Allen, but he's not fucking Tony Allen either. <laughs> so... The numbers were bad. is a great NBA line. draft
1: confidential.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, we're looking at, I think, what eight threes a game for a team in Georgia that didn't win many games, and he shot below thirty percent. So, the shot selection part of it again, like a lot of these younger dudes, you go, "What are you guys doing out there?" But. It feels like, and the betting odds have it right now, that it's kind of Edwards draft, depending on who has that pick. Because I think, still think Minnesota would love to move out of there and add a guy that's been playing the league. I just don't know who that player is. Like, Whenever you say, hey, just move the pick. Golden State, just move the pick. Okay, who is the good player <laughs> that the other team is giving away for what we all consider a bad draft at the top?
1: I mean, who's the team trading up and do they have good players to add to a trade? I mean, exactly. given Larry right. Nance.
0: <laughs> you guys all want to trade Larry Nance. I love it. I love your love for Larry Nance.
1: I love Larry Nance. He's a good good player, but uh, I'm not sure he's enticing for a team to to move down 4 or 5 spots. Maybe he could be. I- I'd like him on Golden State, but we're getting away from the point with Anthony Edwards. I have him number 2 on my board behind Killian Hayes and a big part of me with all the positive feedback that we're hearing the the maturity, the work ethic, it's all good. And a big part of me does want to shift him up to number one, where I had him in the first place to start the season. Because uh, there's no denying, you know, it's 6'5", 225, 6'9", wingspan, with his ability off the dribble. there There's clear potential. If that shot, you know, is not Tony Allen, you know, it's not going to never going to be Ray Allen, but if it can be good, if he can be like a 35, 36% three-point shooter off the dribble, you know, a little bit better off the catch. We're talking about a guy who could be a a, a great scorer for your offense but also a highly versatile defender who can do a little bit off the dribble as a playmaker too cuz look, he's he's not necessarily a selfish passer. He he had to score first at Georgia. He had to score for them to be competent. But if he's able to develop and hone his playmaking ability, he's somebody that can do a lot for you and play with other guys. And that has appeal.
0: No, it's a great point because despite the shooting numbers that would make you think, like, if you just looked at it on paper, you'd be like, what's this guy's problem? Mm -hmm. But when you watched, especially as a freshman, to see him understand, okay, you know, off this high screen, they keep two with him. And instead of forcing it, instead of not reading it, he would bring it further away oh, yeah. to get a four on three and then he would make the right pass. And I go, OK, you know, now we're now we're looking at something. So I think you mentioning his playmaking is really important. I've said the whole time I thought Wiseman was the number one guy on the board, knowing full well how scary that statement is, because he still scares the shit out of me. We saw him for three games. The competition was bad. And as much as every prospect, we can talk ourselves into a floor or ceiling with Wiseman. There are two very distinct versions of who he's going to be. Because there are flashes of almost small forward offensive skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say Garnett because it just sounds stupid and we all do a bad job with doing the comps. I wish comps were more like, hey, he's a little bit like Keon Clark with, with <laughs> handle," you know. But again, I'm not even saying that with <laughs> Keon Clark. I just always <laughs> love like all the comps are like superstars all the time. Uh, when, when he showed his hands are amazing. His running is amazing his, his hard rolls to the hoop, the way he seals in the post and you go, okay, like here's, here's some things that I love, but man, if he has some of these perimeter skills that I'm not sure I'd have to have seen him a lot more in high school. Maybe, you know, that better than I do, but there's a, there's a version of this where I go, man, we shouldn't have thought too much about it. Look at all these skills he flashed. And there's another version of it where I go, you know, he's on his fourth team in, in, in five years, (laughs) And you're like, oh, okay, he's a backup big that's going to be around forever, but he's going to run around and never really become a complete basketball player.
1: I mean, I think with him, it's the type of thing where there's no doubt he's going to be in the league for a while. There's no doubt about that at 7-1 with his athleticism. Like you said, the way he runs the floor, he knows how to be a big man. He can seal off underneath. He can beat a mismatch underneath using his size. He's an explosive rim runner. And just just with his length, 7'6 and his size 240 pounds he's gonna be an impact around the rim even if he's not a great room protector not rudy gobert he's somebody who can be a very good and impactful one with his size there's that foundation for him to be a success and the challenge with him though is he shoots a lot but he's never been an efficient shooter he can handle but he's not a great ball handler he's get loose a bit he can get stripped off and he's not a good decision maker off the dribble either and nor does he read the floor great on the defensive end either. So there's all these questions about how valuable are the flashes that he shows when they're tied to some of those weaknesses that we see in players that hold them back from tapping into that potential upside, that star upside. You know, like you mentioned a Garnett or whether it's a Bosch or a Rasheed Wallace, he does have traits that can hold him back. I will say this. You could look back at certain prospects like a Rudy Gobert. You could look at him and at the time, he was so raw on defense when he entered the league.
0: Raw on and, defense? And, he couldn't run. He, he like, couldn't he, run. Exactly. He had some of the worst video I had mm-hmm. ever seen for a guy that was projected to go in the first. I'm telling you, for a big, like, I was like, you've got to be kidding me with this guy. I so had him I ranked like believe, 35.
1: I, mean, I can't I believe Utah at, yeah. did it
0: because it's such a great front office. And, and like they deserve all the credit in the world. But I'm telling you, anybody that watched the Go Bears stuff from mm-hmm. overseas when he went into the draft, you would be like, what are you supposed to do with him? Like, he can't exactly. Move.
1: And so Utah bet on athleticism, something you can't teach the size and work ethic. And with Wiseman, that's what the teams who like him would be betting on here. They look at seven, one with a seven, six wingspan. They look at the athleticism and they look at somebody who was a smart, good kid and seems to work hard. And they bet on, they would bet on somebody like that into tapping into a higher level. My question is though, like with when it comes to reading the floor, it's it's not like he can't run. Gobert couldn't run. Wiseman sometimes doesn't seem like he reads the floor. He misses rotations on the defensive end where oftentimes that length and that versatility doesn't exist like it should. He misses open passes, forces fade away 18 foot jumpers with 20 seconds left in the shot clock. There's these questions that teams have that the skeptics have about him, and that I do too about whether this is somebody that I would want to take over some of the wings out there, like an Anthony Edwards or even like a Killian Hayes. A- and for you, like, do you still have him at number one or have you shifted a little bit away from that in favor of some of the the wings?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm trying not to let all the workout stuff get to me and how pro Anthony Edwards it's been um, because I just, I think there's a part of Wiseman and you just mentioned it and I was going to bring it up. And I'll I'll use this example. Watching Embiid improve at Kansas was one of my favorite things I've ever done in evaluating Mm, a player. That's great. Because it was so impressive that there were things he just didn't understand. And by the end of the season, and it was post double team rotation, skip it. And I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) Like, who is this guy? I mean, forget the physical stuff. Forget the touch. Forget how dominating his presence is. He's He understands stuff that he didn't even know he was allowed to do a couple months ago. And again, I, I cannot overstate it. It was just one of those revelations you're watching him improve over the course of the year and you're like, my God, this guy's a beast. Wiseman <laughs> feels like a computer with like a bad internet connection at times <laughs> where he'll get any, he, it just, it's like he's processing things slower than he needs to, even in those very few games in Memphis. And maybe that would have gotten better to be fair to him. But I think your point about some of the rotations, there are times you can see him out there where he's, he's thinking it out instead of it coming to him naturally. And it's not a body type thing. Sometimes guys are just very robotic and their, their body movement and none of that stuff's ever going to improve. But with Wiseman, you can tell there's a bit of a disconnect between decision and the actual movement of, of what he's trying to do on a court. So that, that part scares me a little too.
1: Didn't we see that and hear those same things about somebody like Jalen Brown back in the 16 drafts? I mean, there's no denying the, the skill there and the potential, but the knock on him was looks like, you know, he's reading the floor. He's looks like he's struggling to make quick decisions as a passer and on defense. And he still misses rotations. He's probably one of the worst off ball defenders in basketball. He's very good on ball, but not very good off ball and still not a great passer, even though he's improved there. And I, I think if, with Wiseman, you're betting on him at least improving in some or most of those areas like Brown has over the years. Off ball still needs work, and maybe Wiseman will always struggle as a passer. But if, you, if he can improve reading the floor on defense, th- that's what you need from a, a guy who's going to be your anchor on the defensive end of the court. you got to have that for him to tap into being a top 20, top 30 player. Otherwise, it's, he's going to be a good player who's going to come off a rookie contract and is going to show enough that he's going to get a max contract. And that's one of the fears that I have. That do I want to go down the path where I could be paying a good but not great big man a max contract on his second deal? Do I want to go down that path or do I want to maybe bet on a wing or one of the guards up top? Because you can get, you can get solid bigs for cheap. You can find solid bigs late in the first round. We you can find solid bigs in the second round. Sometimes you get to get lucky, but I'm not. I think philosophically, I'm not sure how great I feel about gambling on a big with a top three pick when they can be found so many, so many other places internationally. Daniel Tice or Slate first round, Bam Adebayo second round, Nikola Jokic. They can be found everywhere.
0: Uh, one team when I was going over some of the free agency stuff and needs, and it was you know draft versus free agency, and and how odd this whole thing is. Um, and this is getting more towards the mid later rounds where I was asking about a couple bigs and the team is like, look, we, we don't even want to spend that money. Cause that guy as a draft pick might be more expensive than a guy that we think is an actual rotation yeah. big. If you look at the free agencies the guys that are available, uh, a lot of teams think there's so much depth at that position because the bigs are just overlooked now to this point where, um, maybe that comes in. Maybe that maybe that plays a factor in this, but the Jalen thing, I'll only say that the whole Cal season for, for Jalen. And was it Ivan too? His, his teammate Ivan Rab. Yep, yeah, yep. that was such a disaster. Yeah, that it was hard for me to think any of those guys were good. And when <laughs> they took him third, I was like, wow, because I didn't like what I saw. And the Celtics, to their credit, uh, Ainge. The story goes is that Ainge just was like, after two, we know there's a drop off quite a bit in the evaluation. Let's take the body type, the physical gifts the, the potential to be really versatile and age completely nailed it. He completely nailed it. So sometimes like even with Anthony Edwards, Hey, other guys improve shooting. Yeah. And some guys don't. So I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Cause I'll, I'll hear that a lot from like former players. When we get on young players for having bad shooting percentages, it's like, Oh man, some players, they don't learn to shoot until later on. in the career. Like, yeah. And some never learn how to shoot. Like some people just naturally don't have that, that sensor of hey, I'm a foot behind the line as opposed to right up on the line. And just that amazing adjustment that great shooters make because they've taken tens of thousands of shots and they just have it dialed in. It's almost like a golf swing. This episode is
1: brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with You don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your Perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.
0: This episode of the Ryan Rosilla Podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's french fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a french fry from McDonald's. Unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. All right, let's talk about the most controversial thing that's come from you maybe in your entire career. Because when you put Killian Hayes number one on the big board, I got numerous texts from teams going, Hey, what the fuck is wrong with you? Are you doing the draft (laughs) stuff now at the ringer? (laughs) So Let's talk. talk. I go, no. I'm like, that's Kevin. This is um, this is. I'm trying to think of a good comp. This is like you in the big short, like you're the guy going, no, like this is, this is the mortgage crisis is happening. And everyone in the hedge fund is (laughs) you're just over there brushing your teeth in your office, playing the drums (laughs) saying we have to short the mortgages out there and, and no one believes it. So that's what Killian Hayes is. So go ahead. The floor is yours, Kevin.
1: 19 years old. Playmaker, very good playmaker, great vision. He just turned nineteen, kicking. right? Just just turned nineteen right. and can make kick out passes with precision, with velocity on the ball. He makes those types of star level passers, passes that not a lot of guys can make with size. Six five, two twenty pounds, six nine wingspan, and he defends. We just talked a little bit of Hallamello. The effort's not there, the attention, the focus. Hayes is gonna come in right away and be a reliable off-ball defender for the coach that he plays for a guy who grinds and plays hard on the ball. But the thing that has him number one for me, he has that foundation with passing and defense. What makes him number one is the fact that the flashes he's shown as an on-ball scorer. He looks like, looks like somebody who could develop as he masters his handle and continues to develop his range on his jumper. As somebody who shoots over 80% from the line, positive indicator for his long-term success, somebody that could turn to somebody that you give the ball at the end of the clock and he can score for you with the footwork that he has, with the ability to get his shot off. I look at that and I'm and I ask myself, how is he not in the same level of Anthony Edwards of Lamelo Ball when it comes to talking about who could be the best player in this draft? To me, Killian Hayes deserves to be in that conversation, and I have him number one because I
0: think he will be. So, last season, um, playing for a German team and. Mm-hmm he was 49% pick and roll ball handler, which I think speaks to the NBA readiness of him. His background is he's born in Florida, but his father kind of kept him out of the U S basketball system. His father played overseas. He has consistently played with the older guys, like at every level. So he is in a way, a foreign version of, of another one of these basketball prodigies where you go, no, 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 this is all about your basketball. I think the knocks are the shot. Um, he's, he's slower like some of these perimeter guys I Mm. think as soon as we see them not being dynamic and quick twitch we freak out a little bit but you know it was the same stuff with Doncic and then you realize wait a minute he's 6'9 and he's just huge and it doesn't matter and he's got every single angle and with Killian I see some of that angle stuff I think you're D'Angelo did you have D'Angelo Russell comp yeah D'Angelo Russell and Manu Ginobili are the two shades of comparisons we have in the draft guide You'll be watching him and you go, well, well wait a minute. When, like, when's the flashy thing going to happen? And the next thing you know, he's off the wrong leg floater goes in, mm-hmm. um, dribbles into you, gets separation with his body. Um, Sadiq Bey is a good example of that, like using, understanding your body, understanding your advantage on some of this stuff. Um, the stuff. Because he's
1: not like an explosive athlete, but no, he knows no, how to use his body. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, I think that's the biggest problem that people are having, that it's For six sure. five and being pick and roll ball handler primarily which is great for this league now I think teams just wish he was just a better athlete right yeah for sure that is one of the knocks no doubt about that um what about his three do you think that's fixable
1: yeah I do I mean he shot 29 percent from three this past season but he shot well over 80 percent in his professional career overseas and I think you look at the free throw percentage as yeah. a positive indicator for him I think you look at the touch on tough layups and floaters and runners in the lane. And I look at the, the streaks for him from three point range. And I I think this is somebody that takes a lot of tough shots playing overseas. You see him take some of the step backs and sidestep threes. He's already a solid spot up shooter, good on floaters, good from the line good on layups. To me, that's more important than just looking at the 29% from three when a lot of those shots are tough and contested that's something that i think maybe by 23 24 years old the percentage is going to look a lot better from him from three point range than what we see today i'm not i'm not really that concerned about the jumper to me the number one concern with hayes is what level does his ball handling reach because with luca he is a master of footwork and handle he doesn't just have size but he is really a genius when it comes to reading the floor hayes is very very good but his handle is is Above average to good right now, he uses his left hand way too much. You'd like to see him incorporate the right a lot more to get into his shot and to pass. He's one of those guys where sometimes you see him go up for a pass or a layup. and instead of passing the ball with his right hand, we'll end up using his left, and that'll get him in trouble at times, either as a passer or as a scorer. And that's to me the area that i would I would want to see him improve most. But again, that's something that I think can improved on over time. It's, it's an easily improvable skill. To me, there's no question about what he can be you know, between the ears. He try, tries hard. He plays hard. He plays smart. To me, it's really just about the handle. What level does that reach? And yes, like you do want to see the jumper improve, but I feel confidence that it will.
0: When you watch him play, you can tell he's played against... Like, you could just see, oh, this guy played against older people that really understood basketball. Yeah. He's already at 18. And I said just turned 19 because I always keep in my notes the birth date, because sometimes, you know, the draft or whatever. He was 19 of July, so I shouldn't act like it was just the other week. But you can see he has spent his life playing against older players and understands some of these veteran moves with his body and angles that you just don't see all the time at that age. Okay, now it gets interesting. Um, you take it in any direction you want to go, because it doesn't even feel as much about picks. And, and you were right to point this out early on, is that when the draft is bad at the top, then the draft just gets labeled as a horrible, horrible draft. But when you do dig in and you think of the teens... You're like, you know, there's probably a couple guys in here that are going to have, you know, look, it's not like zero guys are going to be rotation players here, but I want to get to maybe some of those names a little bit later. But this is where it gets way more interesting about names than it does than saying, okay, well, what's Chicago going to do? Cleveland, Atlanta, Detroit, New York.
1: I mean, right after that top group, to me, somebody like Danny Avdia, that's somebody we could look back on years from now and say, oh, we overthought it. The feel, the defensive ability the shot creation at six foot nine. I mean, that guy's a really good playmaker. He knows how to play ball. Like a lot of what you said about Killian Hayes can be said about Avdia too, playing with older men throughout his entire life, more skilled players than him has helped him improve. And the only question with him is the jumper. Shot 50% from the line, shot low 30% from three-point range, but he's shown enough, again, with the touch, with the ability to finish around the rim, that I feel some level of confidence that he's a guy that could totally exceed expectations wherever he gets drafted, whether it's Ford of Chicago. I heard they like him. I heard Cleveland likes him at five. Uh, he's one of those guys who might not go top three, but could end up being the number one player in the draft. But by the way, though, Ryan, like when it comes to some of these top teams, Minnesota at one, Golden State at two, and then Charlotte at three, we're talking about LaMelo and Wiseman. I'm mean, sorry, Edwards and Wiseman as being in the top three for sure. But with that third spot, Is there any chance of a surprise pick like an Avdia or a Hayes or an Okongwu right there that kind of shocked people on draft night?
0: Um, well, yeah, I I don't, I, I wouldn't rule, I wouldn't rule that kind of stuff out just because one, you know, whether you hear Minnesota's trade is available to every or Minnesota's pick has been offered to everybody, Golden State same deal. The Golden State offers that I've heard all sound pretty bad, like it's pretty quick to dismiss them. The Knicks wanting to move up from eight to two and include the Dallas picks that now look like they're going to be bad picks because of Luca. So that doesn't help Um, Cleveland offering anything that has protection on it in the future. You know, some teams say screw it. Uh, But you know, if I'm Cleveland, I don't want to have to move up three spots and start handing out unprotected picks. Uh, That's, that's a disaster. You're going to be even worse moving forward to that. I think Denny is a really good name to bring up because it's six, nine. And even though like, it's weird because his last season, his, his, highest percentage uses was spot ups and it's probably the worst efficiency of any of the stuff that he does and all the other stuff i really like but you kept getting back to like all right spot up shot not hitting it he's not hitting it but it's 690 he's he's not as stiff at all he's really smooth like it's not it's not quick and power it's just like holy shit he's by the defender again Like I kept rewinding and going, oh, he's just he just gets by guys. You know, some guys just kind of figure out how to penetrate at will. And he does that and he does it really well. And there's enough guys that I respect to keep bringing him up. So if he were to go three, I'm not going to sit there on draft night acting like it's a huge shock. He's just not brought up as much as the rest of the guys. I think NBA teams bring him up far more than people outside of those rooms.
1: I mean, that's the weird thing, Ryan. There's no in the mainstream. There's sort of been this consensus that's created, but amongst teams, there's no agreement on any of these guys. Whether it's you know the top picks, Lamelo or Avdia, or whether it's guys that could go in the middle of the lottery, like a Tyrese Halliburton, or guys towards the middle, late first round, like a a Tyrell Terry, who you know I know you joked with Bill the other day about him and how if this draft was delayed anymore,
0: (laughs) Tyrell Terry, he may fire his agent and hire Simmons. Um, Let's (laughs) Let's <laughs> let's go a little quicker, and feel free to throw in any like rumbling of a team. Cool. Hey, they're connected to there because I, I think everybody likes that stuff. But I know it, it's always tough because we put ourselves out there, and then they pick somebody else, and you feel like an idiot. uh Halliburton <laughs> needs to be brought up because yeah. Um, all right, I get, I get the shot doesn't look good. It goes in. It goes in. Mm-hmm. It's this weird push shot, set shot. He didn't even get off the floor. It goes in, and. Even though he has the ball in his hands a lot, he definitely can work off the ball, and I love some of the stuff that he did. Where you know, if he brought it up, he'd get it to another guard. He'd run through. He'd set back screens on a big, and then he'd pop out like he's constantly in the play. It does remind me very of like the Golden State guards. Like he plays a little bit like those guys when he's yeah. not nearly the player. I'm not trying to say he's, he's Steph Clay. One team in particular is like, look, at the very worst, this guy's going to be in a rotation on a good team for a very, very long time. Yeah. My favorite thing about Halliburton is there's a level of awareness with him that is beyond what you're used to in a college sophomore. And the first thing is, and I absolutely love this, so I'm just going to say it again and keep saying it to the draft. Off a defensive rebound, the way he gets out and runs in transition, but still awaiting the pass, where you're being attacked on defense as soon as he crosses half court off a miss, I fucking love it. (laughs) I love it because... He's not coming back to the ball and then slowly bringing it up and letting you get set. He is looking to attack you, and he's out running, waiting for the outlet. It's like the opposite we Rondo screams at every teammate and comes back to the ball. <laughs> Halliburton gets out and it's like a wide receiver running a route waiting to get the pass to then start attacking you. There are just little things that he's doing that other college players aren't doing, but he's skinny as hell, and he's not a great athlete and you wonder, is this guy really going to be an NBA starting point guard for 10 years?
1: And then one of the knocks on him is, you know, he was a low usage college player. You know, what's he going to offer in the NBA? He's not going to be a guy who runs your offense. And to that, I say, so what? You're not drafting him to be somebody who runs your offense. If he turns into that, at yeah, three, maybe you are. <laughs>
0: but, yeah, yeah, sure. But, right. you know,
1: but lower than that, he's probably not going three, you know, six, seven, eight, wherever he goes. You're drafting him to be somebody who is one of the best glue guys in the league and somebody who, helps raise your floor and helps support your star level players with his IQ with, like you said, he does the little things. He makes that extra pass. He makes that hard defensive rotation. Wherever he goes, the coach is going to love him. And he's going to be one of those rookies who plays right away and contributes right away. And if he's on a contending team, he's probably going to get postseason minutes too with the body. I mean, he is lean, he is skinny. I'm not. I'm <laughs> not sure so how nice, much, uh, I'm not sure how much I worry about that, though. With yeah. the skills that he has, and with with the amount of smaller, you know, players that are out there right now, I think he can survive in the defensive end despite weighing what he does. He was 175 at Iowa State last year. He is a bit heavier now uh, after pre-draft, this long pre-draft process. But to me, like he's a safe pick that's going to be a solid player for a long, long time.
0: Even though I made that Rondo comparison of something he does that's not like Rondo, his anticipation on passing lanes and that kind of stuff, yeah. um, really good. And there's a play against Baylor, if you watch the Baylor game, where it's it's not a full breakout, but it's in transition. He's following the play, and another teammate takes a shot, and he sizes up from like half court that he's going to crash the glass and follows and has this this, this offensive... Rebound follow combo, where the other nine guys are like, "Wait, what the hell just happened there?" And he was like the only one thinking about this play, and it's really impressive. Okay, I'm going to bring up Patrick Williams now, because if I like we sit it. here and obsess over young men's bodies, this is <laughs> the perfect body. Um, this is at six eight, and his muscle, and his power, and when it's right, and his aggressiveness. If you were just to watch him on the right night. You'd be like, why isn't this guy going number one? Now, I'd heard San Antonio at 11. This is probably the most obvious rumor I'd ever heard. The earliest ever was Austin Rivers going to the Pelicans at 10, I think, in that draft. Where I, I may have heard it two years before it happened. I'm, I'm being <laughs> a little dramatic there. But it was, it was the earliest I heard something where it was the scout was like, oh, my God, that's done. Done and done. Done. Ra- like, that's where he's going. Don't let anybody else tell you differently. And I was like, this is so far away from the actual draft. There's no way I could actually be. And it ended up happening. Patrick Williams isn't that, but the Patrick Williams-San Antonio thing has been constant. I don't know if you've heard differently. Feel free to correct me or add I, I to I haven't
1: it. heard San Antonio. I've heard Knicks like him at eight.
0: Okay, but that's the other thing that's, is that when yeah. I brought it up to a different team, they're like, well, he ain't getting to 11, man. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not getting to 11. I was told that the Patrick Williams draft starts at four and likely doesn't get past seven. So ah. Patrick Williams, go. Interesting.
1: So you've heard possibly Detroit at seven? could be his floor. That's higher I, that's, than I've ever heard. I, I, I mean, that's it's really high. I'm just bringing it up for conversation. You know, I, I, no, I'm I'm glad that you brought it up because, you know, I remember it was like a, maybe a month ago, I reported mid lottery, you know, like eight to 12 range. And so it does seem like he's one of those guys that's trending upwards. And for good oh, reason. Yeah. I mean, l- like you said, six, eight with his size and his body. He's somebody who can play in the NBA, even though he came off the bench, at Florida State which is crazy to say we're talking about a guy who came off a bench being a lottery pick but the flashes he showed as somebody who can be a versatile defender for you somebody who can create off the dribble for you ha- ha- it's hard to find guys who are 6-8 who, who can create off the dribble and reliably switch a lot of screens and Patrick Williams looks like one of those types of guys but do you think Do you think with with him, how much of a long-term project is he, or was he somebody who was perhaps underutilized at Florida State because he was behind some upperclassmen, some older players on that roster, where he didn't get the opportunity to really show everything that he can do? Or is he just what he is, a raw prospect that's going to need a lot of years to develop?
0: This isn't Florida State's fault. Uh, there are other times in the past where, for whatever reason, maybe it's a bunch of different reasons, I don't feel like Florida State with some of these physical guys that you're like, oh, my God, look at this guy. And you're like, all right, what happened to him? Um, it's happened with Florida State for a lot. Yeah, I, I don't – maybe it's fair, maybe it's unfair. I don't know. Uh, but he can't shoot, and I don't like his handle. And if you're asking him to be a perimeter player in this league, you got to figure that stuff out. So if you if you catch him it's, – it's weird because – the shot is bad. It, it's almost like he's an actor playing a basketball player in a movie where you can see he's thinking all of the form and all the stuff. It's just not natural. It's not natural out of his hand. And I always kind of classify perimeter players as, as a two dribble guy or, or, a, or you know, like if, if the th- what do you look like on your third dribble? Sure. And mm-hmm. he's at this point like a two dribble guy. And even some of the stuff, like maybe, yeah, I'm sure some people listen to this and argue. So now he's got a better head, and you give him credit for. Okay, but I don't think he's really breaking anybody down right now. I didn't see that. But then you'll see him. uh, I think the positives, like when he's baseline off ball and how hard he'll cut and he'll read the drive and read the rotation of the defense or maybe... (laughs) Maybe <laughs> Leonard and Hamilton just said, Hey, you're bigger and stronger than everybody else. When they get close, just crash the rim every single time. So maybe I'm giving too much credit on his reads. Like it's, it's filthy. Like he just gets it and mm-hmm. finishes and cr- Get it in transition, forget it. I mean, it's, it's awesome. But I have to admit, when I, when I look at him, I go, Am I drafting a player or am I drafting a body?
1: I mean, you might be drafting a body, but in this year's draft class, it sort of goes yeah. back to the LaMelo conversation where with LaMelo, it's, you know, do you want to take that home run swing or do you want to go with the safer pick with Patrick Williams? You're probably taking that home run swing. You are risking that he never develops his handle that his shot, which by the way, he had to change his mechanics from the free throw line after high school. And he did shoot over 80% from the free throw line with Florida state, which is nice to see, but it was only 74 shots. So how valuable is it really when his shot off the catch looks really funky? It does not look great. Does not look natural. So you're betting on him improving his handle, the shot being better than it was at Florida State and that him being able to keep those mechanics and just, you know, I think there's no questions with him about his mindset. He plays hard on defense. It seems like from what I hear, he's somebody who does love the game and wants to be good, but not all players who love the game end up being reliable jump shooters or ball handlers. So I think a lot of it is with him. You are betting on the body. But I'm not sure that's such a bad thing in this year's draft uh, for some teams that might want to take that uh, risk and that gamble for somebody who could end up one of the top two or three best players in the draft.
0: The free throw percentage you bring up is really important, too, because uh, teams will look for that. We go, okay, he's not great from three. What are his free throw numbers? If the free throw numbers are good. That will give teams a lot more hope. It's, it's brought up all the time. And, you know, maybe it's just a mechanism to talk yourself into taking a guy. But I think there is more to that. I think a lot of teams do kind of pay attention to it. And, like, even, um, was it Halliburton? I think Halliburton had, like, a big improvement from his free throws from the first year to the second year. He but. did improve a lot. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, that means real experts are checking your sneakers every stitch down to the sole. They'll even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax from the drop to your doorstep. eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay authenticity guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. Modelo knows it's not about whether you win or lose. It's about cheering louder, traveling further. It's about showing up no matter what. Because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. An ice cold reward. Rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop, delivery, or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Let's go quicker. Uh, and that's my fault. Okongu USC. I could see him going high in this could draft. Three.
1: Could be number yeah. three.
0: So we, we have to bring him up. Six nine. He's two forty-five. He's the biggest of the bigs. I mean, depending on how you want to I mean, Wiseman's obviously, you know, seven one. Um, but Okongu's super confident, aggressive. I would say at times it's um it's a little just brutish where there's not as much finesse to it. But that Utah game, they had to go to zone. He was beating them so bad on the glass and everything he was doing. They had to change their entire deal to try to, try to slow him down. Um, his confidence, look, he's a California guy too, I believe. Isn't he Chino too? I, I'm trying to remember. Yes. Um, yep. he, there's a lot that I really like there, but then sometimes you know, at this point of the draft you go, am I drafting a starting big in this league or am I drafting a backup here because it could go either way?
1: It sort of comes back to the same thing about Wiseman. Do you want to take that big man that high in the draft, or do you want to gamble on somebody later, late lottery? I mean, let's let's just say, theoretically, Golden State were to to trade down from number two, and instead of Wiseman or instead of Okongwu, they're like, let's go for Jalen Smith, sophomore from Maryland, 6'10", 7'2", wingspan, has shown shooting ability, has shown skill on offense, plays hard on defense. You know, once his you know strength and conditioning improves in the NBA system, maybe he turns out to be the best big in the drafts uh, in the middle of the first round. Maybe you prefer a guy in the second round. Maybe you prefer a Xavier Tillman and taking that gamble instead. And with Okongwu, I like him a lot and I think he's going to be a good player. I have him one spot ahead of Wiseman on my board because I feel like there's a a higher floor for him and still he retains a, a pretty high ceiling as well with some of the. The bio elements to his game. I, I hate to throw out the Bam comparison because Miami just made that run to the finals, and it feels
0: kind of cheap. I'm not comparing anybody to Bam because Bam can but, run. Your, uh, you can run your offense through yeah. Bam. He's an incredible passer. He reads stuff. The intelligence, like the Bam shit, people going to stop thinking that we're going to have a Bam. Every sure, year. But, I mean, I'm like, sorry, this, Kevin. It's, I'm very I'm, upset about I'm going to
1: sound like an NBA hipster here, but I had the Bam comp before the s- finals run for the Heat, and I feel less good about the comp after their run. Because of the perception, you he's, know, that that good. About I, I, he's that good. I feel great, like these yes.
0: comps to Bam are disrespectful to Bam.
1: I I, I feel you there. I mean, it, it's shades of you can see it with the versatility on defense, with the work ethic, with some of the fluidity. There's skill there. Bam also didn't show the playmaking ability in Kento- college at Kentucky that that uh, Anya Anyahe Okongwu also hasn't in college. She yeah. just shows the flashes of it. I mean, maybe he develops, maybe it doesn't. But there's certainly elements of his game like Bam and. But to me, like, it's really, it's philosophical. Do you want to invest a high pick and a lot of money with the rookie skill contract and be on that path to pay a max to a big man on that second deal? Or do you want to take that risk later in the first round or in the second round? Because there's some other solid bigs there. I mean, like somebody like Killian Tilly, four-year senior at Gonzaga, he'd be a lottery pick if it weren't for injury concerns. He can shoot the hell out of the ball. He makes smart decisions with the pass. He can finish around the rim. He can switch on defense. Someone like Killian Tilly to me, I mean, besides the injuries, like I said, he's a lotto pick. Would you rather take that risk with like pick 30 or pick 35 or pick 40 and get take somebody else up top? Or would you rather take the big up top? Because you can find bigs. You can find bigs. We're going to see Christian Wood get like a, the mid-level exception or maybe a little bit more than that. We see international players go to teams like Daniel Tice a couple of years ago to Boston. We see Bam in the first round. You can find bigs elsewhere in the draft and free agency in the trade market. The Lakers got Javale McGee and Dwight Howard off the scrap heap.
0: So one name he brought up in there that I, I we have to spend a minute on, Jalen Smith, Maryland, sophomore. He's seven, or excuse me, 6'10", one plus wingspan, 225. I can't believe some teams have him in the twenties. I can't. Like, mm. I know no one likes Biggs anymore. And it was funny because I was arguing with somebody about it the other day because like his post setups are bad. His feet aren't always in order. Um, he'll turn wrong shoulder sometimes. He doesn't feel the defender. And I go, okay, nobody posts anymore. So <laughs> if you have Jalen Smith in your team, you weren't gonna run your offense through him anyway. At six ten, he's shooting thirty-seven percent on threes, three attempts per game, up twenty-seven percent last year. He's a legitimate big threat on a pick and pop and he can actually put it on the floor a little bit there was a play against Michigan State um defensive rebound Maryland guard ends up with the ball Jalen gets out and runs he's ahead of everybody it's a bad pass Jalen catches it going to the baseline out of bounds with one hand and whips it out to the left corner for a three-point make he has more stuff than he's getting credit for. And I can't help but think that Jalen's an auto lottery pick 10 years ago in this league. But when you focus on his problems as a post player, I feel like that's getting in the way of the good things because it's just the way the game is played now. And so when you talk about some of these different bigs, like some teams just don't like them. They just don't like I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. Um, because there are other times where I actually really like his footwork. Like he had some spin move in a game. I'm like, what the hell was that? That was like a guy who's been playing post for 10 years. So I don't know. People just seem to be a bit off him. I think you had him 17th in your board, but now you have him in the lottery.
1: Yeah, I have him. I've had him 13 in my mock for like three or four in a row to the Pelicans. I think he makes too much sense next to Zion. And I do have him 17 on my board. And and like, he's one of those guys that I want to, I'd love to get him a little higher on the board because you know, who, who cares? about the post play. All you need from him down the line is to be able to beat a mismatch down low. You need him to seal off a smaller defender when he's ahead in transition. That's what you want your big to do in most offenses, not to force feed him down there with Jalen Smith. The appeal and the skill is developing that jumper even further. You mentioned he shot 37% from three. He came off screens, off of handoffs. They used him at times like a wing and he's 6'10". He showed a lot of flashes from the perimeter in addition to just the fact that he has sheer size with a seven two wingspan with a strong frame and he plays hard on defense. He to me like is probably one of the more overlooked and underrated players in the draft.
0: Yep. Agree. Okay. Your pick. Because I we we have to do our one guy that I called you about the other night. So I'll let you pick the next player and then I'll do maybe one more myself.
1: Let's let's hit Tyrell Terry real quick. Okay. Tyrell Terry, he is the guy who has taken advantage of this five-month delay the most. If the draft is in June, he might not be in it because he might have pulled his name out and went back to Stanford. If the draft is in June, he could be a second-round pick. But after all this time, gaining 10, 15 pounds of muscle. 15 pounds in
0: a few months, just like that, huh?
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. (laughs) Improving his athleticism. He's popping. There are people that I talked to back in – April, when my big four, big board first came out, I had him, I think, eight or nine at the time. And people are like, are you nuts? Are you crazy? What do you see with this kid? 160 pounds, six foot two. Is he big enough to succeed? A lot of those same people, now five, four, five, six months later, have him ranked in the mid or late first round. And it seems like, from everybody I've talked to in recent weeks, that he is somebody who will not be there for even the Lakers at the 27th pick, or, or even like Boston at number 30. He's probably going to go somewhere in the teens or maybe the early 20s because of his feel for the game, because of his shooting ability, because of how hard he plays on defense. And Tyrell Terry, if you're betting on character, I interviewed him recently for a story I'm writing that'll come out sometime later this month before the draft. He, I mean, 19, 20 years old, probably one of the smarter people I've talked to. They don't let idiots at Stanford. And he is certainly a smart kid who knows what he's going to get better at. I I like to ask Players, what are your weaknesses? What do you need to improve at? And when I first talked to him months ago, it was apparent. He mentioned ball handling, shooting off the dribble, you know, expanding on what he does, developing a step back and a side dribble instead of just pulling up. And these are things improving his offhand, scoring around the rim and as a ball handler, and obviously improving his body. And these are all things that he's worked on pretty freaking hard the last five, six months while training for the draft. And that improvement is pretty clear and to me we are seeing somebody who has taken advantage of this opportunity with the delay and is going to be a good player and I think there's a chance he could crack into a higher level uh maybe not stardom but second second tier stardom third tier stardom I'm a big Tyrell Terry fan and, and to me he should be a lottery pick and uh, I, I would be willing to bet and redrafts a year from now or two years from now we're going to see him undoubtedly a top 10 guy
0: Trey Young always had a chance because of his passing. I mean, it's, it's just mm-hmm. for all the shit he takes, and, and I'm certainly uh, critical at times. His passing was always there, and that was a bad Oklahoma team he was on too. Um, there's some Trey stuff that I see from him, but it's not the Pat. He's not on Trey's level with he, pass. He's not a Trey passer. Yeah. No, no, not at all. But um, it just reminds His like his attacks, big moments in the game. You know, probing, probing, looking for con- all that kind of stuff. He's a great free throw shooter. And, I, and I, I hate to go like the Kobe rule here where just because you took the game-winning shot attempt, it means you're awesome. But I thought in that <laughs> Oregon State game where they ran it for him, and then I would, would add, and people loved him. Because he can be a little, like there can be a lot of attitude out there with him as a young kid. So at first it was a bit of a turnoff where I was like, where, where's this kid at? But then everyone's like, no, 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 he's awesome. He's awesome. You'd love him. And they just trusted him in really big spots as a young player. And that that means something. Like if There's a program some, like Stanford saying, hey, you know, go ahead, go win us the game, um, that I think is an important part of it.
1: And, and he's somebody who's, who is possibly going to be a redshirt freshman. They considered redshirting him, and they opted not to, and he quickly rose up the, the, the hierarchy of that team to get those opportunities at the end of games. And, you know, you mentioned the Trey Young comp. One of the things I'd love to see Trey Young develop over the course of time, maybe Atlanta adds another star player when they're trying to push for the playoffs. I'd love to see Trey Young become a guy who re- relocates off ball. I'd love to see that from him. That's something Tyrell Terry does where he isn't your primary. He's not going to dominate the ball, but he knows how to play. He knows how to make the right pass and knows how to relocate to get himself open for another shot opportunity or a cut to the rim, whatever it might be. He, he Trey Young, the defensive ability, the effort is not there. With Terry, people do knock the size, but I've seen him switch onto wings and larger guys and fight like hell to try to get a stop. And oftentimes he would get a stop. To me, you know, people talk about the size, but the finishing around the room—he has touch, he has craftiness. I look at him, and really, the only real knock on him is the size, and that's. But something he he's have, already improved.
0: He does have a good frame. Um, I would say even a better frame than a Trey Young type. And you're right; some of the off-the-ball stuff, little little deals, the way he'll cut off a handoff where it's not just like, "Hey, the play calls for me to hand it off and then move off of this." No, no, I'm I'm not saying Duncan Robinson off ball cuts which are you know my favorite level. Have, yeah. right you, when you come to my home yep. there's an entire collage of him <laughs> just off the ball and his, and his hard <laughs> cuts where he'll he'll jab step in the wrong direction and cut behind you like terry terry does something like that stuff okay uh i'll just throw out a coro here because he's another guy that it's he's been in the top 10 conversation for a long time i'd love a little bit more offense for my guy if um, i'm going top 10 instead of just picking a physical defender. But uh, one team I did talk to said they asked other SEC players, "Hey, who's the toughest guy you went against?" And Coro was brought up all the time, mm. and that's he can defend. Yeah, that's worth. Maybe it was just guys, guys that were scores and wings were like, "Ah, this guy again." So he's he's worth at least mentioning because he's been brought up so much. Because I think when you just look at some of the stuff, and and I'm like, if you're taking Marcus Smart in the top ten, which is exactly where he went, uh, Smart was a better offensive player than Coro. He was certainly uh, a better passer like smart could really pass and then smart shot was even worse than pros and now it's acceptable at this point but there was enough offense there to build off of so whenever i hear like a coral hey you bring him in he's this tough guy, he's all these different things it's like man for top 10 though i'd still like a little bit more offense let's finish with the worst because i i hit for the aggregate triple crown uh with simmons yesterday <laughs> as i'm getting all of these <laughs> these questions texted to me right now um about some of the stuff i said but this is not a comp based on players. I was so excited because I hadn't watched enough of them until last week. But your boy Alexei <laughs> Pokusevsky, he is seven what seven one, seven feet,
1: seven feet seven one. But like what a hundred pounds?
0: Yes, he's <laughs> thin, and I think part of part of the problem he's a serb he played in the greek league but they moved him down to like the b team for those that play intramural still when you're like hey should we be in the a league and then everybody american
1: up, high school level right half
0: half the kids that signed up for the A league are like i should have done this and then a bunch of guys that should be in the a league at intramurals in college should have been they went to b to win a title and get the shirt i also think that um alexei's picture that you have up is hurting <laughs> his draft stock because it looks like his <laughs> knees are uh, at 45 degree angles. Here's the deal for a seven footer that can move like him and can pass like him, it is jump off the screen impressive. So that is why he is in the lottery conversation. However, the teams and the guys he's going up against in the gyms, it reminded me of Giannis, not the player. But when you watched Giannis before the draft, you're like, all right, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, who are these guys? defending him and that's why Giannis went as late as he did and he also became much bigger and grew and you know now he's one of the best players in the game when you watch Pokoseski it's not so much him is as I worry about the fact that it looks like a hockey team that got jerseys (laughs) that decided to defend him at a junior high school
1: (laughs) I mean in that case
0: is that fair
1: I mean, it's it's fair. It's definitely fair. I mean, anybody could pop up the highlights and see the guys he's going against, and it's hard to get a read. And when it comes to situations like that, I tend to just, I tend to just ignore the competition and not allow myself to get distracted by that. I try to focus on just the player and look at what are the translatable qualities to a higher level of competition. What are the qualities that can develop over the course of time and reach a higher level? And and with Pakeyevsky, seven feet. He's lean, 200 pounds, but the passing ability, the ball handling ability, the shooting versatility coming off screens and handoffs, shooting off a movement. He's not just a standstill shooter. He can come off a movement a lot for you. There's a feel for the game. There's a willingness to defend, to possibly be a highly versatile defender, and maybe he goes down the path of a, of a dragon Bender. I like Dragonbender Bender in his draft, and I was wrong about him. But there's also a path for him to become a pretty good player because I think he has a lot better feel and a lot better shooting ability than Dragon Bender did. And I bring that up just to say that I was wrong on a guy like Bender who I liked. But with Pokusevsky, it's also not a top-five pick investment. It's probably late lottery at the highest, maybe even in the 20s. Oklahoma City has been connected to him a lot with the 25th pick. Uh, that My impression is that could be his floor in the draft. I, I'm not sure he'll make it there. But the investment on somebody like him, it's like some of these other guys we're talking about. Yeah, maybe he doesn't pan out. Maybe he's always too skinny. Maybe he can't adjust to the NBA style of play.
0: Maybe the NBA one, team doesn't just let him dribble through everybody for an entire game. Sure, one but, game but, I watched, I think the opposing coach called a timeout after every single layup. Because it was just... <laughs> he never dunks, by the way. He's seven he feet tall and he, he never dunks. So, I don't think that's a great sign. But... Ah, uh, the Oklahoma City thing also a terribly kept secret. Uh, He's—I don't know that he's not going to be there at twenty-five, but that promise has been out there now for a while, right? Yeah,
1: it's—it's it's been out there for a couple weeks now, and I mean, he could end up there though. He could. You uh, think he could go
0: twenty-fifth? I, don't
1: think I mean, go. look—I mean, this year's draft, like we talked about, the weak—you know—players up top in terms of potential stars, but there's a lot of good quality role players that could go ahead of him. Where again, teams might say, "We'll go with a safe guy." rather than take a swing on somebody who may pan out to be nothing. And with Pokusevsky, there's certainly a chance he doesn't end up to be a competent NBA player at all. But I, I, I think he can end up really good. There's just too much skill at seven feet with the shooting and the playmaking and the potential versatility for me not to feel like this guy deserves late lottery conversation, especially in a year where philosophically, maybe you'd rather take that risk and potentially miss than you would on a guy who might just be a role player and nothing more.
0: You can check out all of his draft coverage. Again, Kevin O'Connor on The Ringer. The mock is up, updated constantly, and his big board, full scouting reports. He puts a ton of work into this. He does an, does an incredible job and uh, really proud of all the stuff you do, man. So talk to you soon. Man.
1: Thanks, Ron, for having me on.
0: Now it's time for the State Farm. Surprisingly great segment of the week, getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like Justin Herbert lighting up the NFL. Let's take a look at the Chargers quarterback because he has been filthy. But if you go back to his years at Oregon, there was some real debate. I've watched a bunch of those games. And I thought maybe two years ago, I liked him even more than the last year he was out in Autzen at a time where people were wondering if he would be the number one overall pick because that conversation happened. When you watch all the games, there'd be times where you felt like, What's going on in this series? What's going on in this quarter where it just felt a little flat, missing some easy throws? And yes, there's plenty of college quarterbacks that are pro prospects that need to work on footwork and need to work on their anticipation and their throws. But with Herbert, it actually got a little bit more personal when you talk to people about the evaluation, that his personality was flat and that he wouldn't command a huddle, um, that he was actually coddled. That was weird. They were bringing up his upbringing as if it was a negative. So it got really weird in the evaluation of Herbert because it became less about his physical gifts and more about the personality. But now what we've seen with him and the Chargers is historic. He is the first quarterback in NFL history with over 1,500 yards and 15 touchdowns in his first six starts. And that's against only five interceptions. And if the defense or the team just in general could stop blowing these monumental leads, which they've done now for four straight weeks, it'd be an even better story because the Chargers would be winning some games with a rookie quarterback who looks like he's going to be dialed in now for 10 plus years. So Herbert, you may have loved him, but there's no way you thought he was actually going to be this guy. State Farm agents provide personal service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together the very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more with a great price and even greater service. State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Our surprisingly great player from last week was Justin Herbert in another loss. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari
1: 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required.
0: Okay, life advice: rr at gmail.com. We'll do two quick ones here. All right. Big fan of the show over in Dublin, 20 years old, huge Colts and Spurs fan. Hmm. Okay. Hey, odd combo, but you're in Dublin. Nobody's judging. Here's the situation. Been in a relationship for two years. and Things are going pretty perfectly between us, except for one thing. She got a dog one year ago. um, Two-year relationship, got the dog a year ago, and the dog is really, really annoying. We're both 20 and live with our parents. uh, And I try to see her in my house as much as possible, but I go up to her house pretty regularly too. So the first few months when the dog was a puppy, he was obviously very needy, would whine, bark excessively, was overall a bit annoying, but it was cute, but it was cute and the dog would grow out of it, right? All caps wrong. Fast forward one year and the dog has gotten worse. If anything, I can't watch a movie with my girlfriend without having to pause it 10 times because the dog wants to go outside or play or will just bark randomly for two minutes at any given moment. We can't relax and eat food around it because he will literally try his hardest to jump on you and get to the food. God, I hated that in school. Even when it's on the table, he won't sleep in his bed. And will only sleep beside me and my girlfriend, which is a huge problem, as I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> don't we? We get it, buddy. Um. And if we leave him in a room by himself, he will start whining and scratching doors. And also whenever I go to their house, he pisses himself out of excitement when he sees me. So all in all, not great, Bob. My girlfriend seems to think it's cute that he's so needy and treats the dog like a child. I'm starting to really get annoyed by the dog and I don't think she picks up on that. So my question is, do I just put up with the dog let things be, pretend to like him in front of my girlfriend, which I've been doing as it's not exactly an issue that will make or break the relationship. Or do I say to her, risk a huge argument about this damn dog, when she feels insecure about him. and doesn't want me around him anymore. Thanks. All right, look, you're not going to win this. I doubt. I, I don't, I think in the history of man versus dog in a relationship, I don't know that. It, I think pretty sure the dog's undefeated. I'm with you. I, I don't, that's the downside of the dog. Like dogs that absolutely suck. She obviously did a terrible job training him and has let all these bad habits happen. Um, and that's that's brutal. But basically, you know, relationships are all about sacrifice. You're gonna be things that you're not gonna always like. Nobody's gonna be aligned hundred percent here. I would bail in a second. I don't care who the fuck the girl was. I would not live with a dog like that. I did it for two years and I hated it and it sucked. And when they eat your food, I'm like, oh, he's so cute though. Uh Oh, that's just that's just not that wouldn't work. um But you seem to really like her. But I don't know if you can tell her. I, I would just tell her and be like, "Hey, this kind of sucks." But you know, like, I don't. I don't like. Are you afraid that in the future your relationship's going to be strained because you know she hates your dog, she knows that you hate her dog? You know, it'd be like dating somebody who has a kid from a previous marriage, and you're like, you know, your kid is kind of ugly. Like, as he gets older, he's He's not very good looking. He's going to be, he's going to be in like a five in high school. (laughs) I I, I would probably go over less than the dog part of it, but um, yeah, I mean, she did an awful job of the dog and now the dog is, is a mess and she must think it's cute. Maybe actually, maybe our friend in Dublin, maybe that's a sign. I don't want to project too much, but would she be a bad mom now? You know? Can you like late in life train something like that? Or is it, is it a mess once, so, it's, once they're Supposedly set? you can. Yeah, supposedly you can. I don't know. I don't watch any of those dog whisperer shows. I was going to say this might be an email for the dog whisperer instead of life advice. Well, of course he's going to say it. I mean, none of those guys that do this stuff for a living. Like how often do you have a guy who specializes one industry that's like, yeah, actually I can't help. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, again, like any real estate agent. Oh, did you ever sell a house? No, it was on the market. Well, let me list it. Like, oh, really? Because you have a completely different group of people in the same town that didn't want to buy my house the first time in the same city that now you have access to all these other people in the same city that already saw my house listed for that long on Zillow. Like, but you're going to sell it. Um, Yeah, Sean, I don't know. It's up to you. You got to figure out pretty quickly here. Do you like her more than the dog? And if you do, then you're going to have to suck it up. and You're going to have a terrible dog with your family and weird kids that have no discipline. I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, a female email. We don't get many of those and we appreciate it. This is from, well, we'll leave a name out of this. Hi. Oh, there she goes. Hi, my name is, but I'd rather you leave my last name out of this. Okay. So let's call her Katie. All right. 37 single have a job. I love and I'm really good at it, but I also feel like I've lacked some work life balance. So I decided to try online dating with COVID happening. I'm not exactly hanging out in places where I'd meet new people. Well, Okay. I matched with a guy that I messaged a bit for a few days and he asked me if we could meet up. I told him I would want to video chat or at least talk on the phone before I would feel comfortable meeting up. He originally said that was no problem and I suggested some times that didn't fit his schedule. <laughs> like, look, first of all, red flag there. If he doesn't have time to jump on a FaceTime for five minutes and he's pursuing you, you know, male or female, the other way around, that's weird. It's like all those catfish shows where you go, you talked to this guy for email and email for 14 months and Venmoed and money for a tire repair. And you never once. Yeah. She's like, well, he said he hadn't upgraded his phone. <laughs> like, okay. You know, I, I saw one where it was like, the girl was from Minneapolis, worked at a mall kiosk and she thought she was dating an Abercrombie model from Laguna. And she's like, I, I don't know Why? I don't know how it didn't work out. All right. So Katie, that's a major, major flag there. They didn't have time to get on a video chat for a couple of days. A few days later, he pushed the idea again of meeting in person. I told him I was getting a feeling that it wasn't going to be a good idea because I wouldn't feel comfortable meeting up after a couple of days of texting in general. Yes, you are right, Katie. You are normal. Uh, good for you. I'm even more concerned about it in a pandemic because we hadn't talked at all about our thoughts on masks, hanging out outside, et cetera. I would want a better idea of those things to make sure someone is taking precautions. Again, excellent points. He got angry. All right, well, then you should just stop talking. He got angry, and he told me I was probably secretly in a relationship and was playing games with him. Things escalated in a weird way from there. Oh, we have screenshots of text threads. This interaction popped a bunch of red flags for me, but I know that men and women often react differently to conversations like this, so I'm curious what your thoughts are. Thanks. Okay, let's check out. This is amazing. Okay, so here's her text. So I'm going to wish you well. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me about it. But I think it's just better if we call it. That was her text to him. So he responds. Well, how about you've made that clear? So that's fine. (laughs) You can bring it up when you're ready. I can see you have some real issues. No problem. In me, I never run out of options. Okay, by the way, the way he's spelling some words and some of the punctuation that are also red flags, but this text one, Text one is bad. Text two is brutal. He also says, I bet my life you're in a relationship already, and that's why you're scary. Um, Be gone, then. Your game level is heavy. Be gone, all caps, exclamation point. Um, The location of whatever town they're from is, is edited out. So blank location is small. You'll see me one day, and you'll realize you outwitted yourself from a hell of a prize. All right, this guy sucks obviously. I I wonder if there's anyone listening to be like, oh, she screwed up. Sounds like a good dude. (laughs) She texts back. Thanks. I always second guess my instincts. Am I not giving someone a chance? Should I have ignored my gut when something here feels off? But you cut right to the chase. So that saves me that doubt. Appreciate it. Yeah. His response is like seven in a row. Yeah. You're an overthinker. I'm a doer. Two different types. You get anxiety from a me. You need a lot. He misspells a lot. A lot of coaxing to be rid of that fear. You're a candidate for my program. Build a better you. God, he sucks more after every single text. This is impossible to suck any more than this. Could he possibly with a third screenshot be even worse? Let's see. You're a candidate for my program. Build a better you. Have a do me perspective. Get you some power. A gun get you in the gym. All right, well, that's a fair point. Okay, I'm done. Can you please stop texting now? She says, Lord knows how you keep yourself busy if you don't have kids. Okay, bye. Yeah. You know what my major concern with this, other than this guy sucks and sounds like an absolute loser, like he's a he's a zero on a scale of one to 100, is that Katie... You had to email me to ask if you read this wrong. That bums me out for you. Like, yeah, we can, like some of us are are overthinkers. I'm an overthinker. You are an overthinker. Some people have put zero thought into anything. Uh, sometimes I'd rather be on that end, but I know long-term, I'm glad I think about things a lot. But I don't want you to have, like, I'm afraid that wherever you're, your situation in previous dating, maybe some things have probably gone, you know, if, if, if you know, you're know you 37, you've probably dated some people and it, and it hasn't worked out. Most, almost every one of us have, but trust your gut quicker, you know, trust your instincts quicker because this guy, anybody that doesn't want to meet up with you on some, on, on a video call, that's a problem. Now, all of you out there, if you're meeting people on apps or whatever, and you can't get a video call or some sort of live not just a picture because it'd be a screen grab i know girls that send pictures to guys of like their other people um not like you know you can't keep that going for a long time but you get my point um yeah i just i just don't want you to ever like hesitate I, I, I it sounds like you spent a little bit of time going oh did i read this wrong do i regret this i know you just even say in the email like i know men and women often react differently to conversations like this there's only one way to react to that guy's text and that's to just put them on ice forever, block the number. And that's it. That guy's awful. So, uh, trust yourself more and trust your gut because your gut was right. I just don't want you to ever have to second guess any kind of interaction with somebody that terrible. Okay. Please subscribe, rate and review. we got a really cool setup coming for Friday's podcast, but I don't want to tease it yet because I'm not sure if it's all, all the way booked, but that's what we'll be doing again. Please subscribe. Uh, numbers have been great for the podcast, especially these last few weeks. And, uh, as always, thank you.